much is said in my church about what my son said about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Much is said about what was prophesied that he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost. But not much is said about the prophecy that he would baptize you with fire. I would have you know about this fire. It is a spiritual fire of purity and holiness that has been sent to burn up the chaff within you. But it is a fire to which you must submit. It is a fire that indeed will work a perfecting work within you. But it doesn't simply happen just because you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. You must want this purging to take place. Just like you had to come into agreement with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive that gift of tongues, you must also come into agreement with me concerning this baptism of fire, allowing it to burn within to bring about the purging and the cleansing that needs to take place. It will burn. It will purge. It will cleanse. But you must receive it. Sadly, too many of my children are more concerned about having an experience with the Holy Spirit while ignoring an experience with my holy fire. I say to you, both are critical and both are important. You need both. Open yourselves up to this purging fire of my perfecting holiness. Let the chaff be totally and completely consumed so that the purity of who you are in Christ will come forth and shine with my glory in this fallen world, says the Lord. Would you please turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Whenever I, well, let me kind of restart that. Over the years, and, and this still happens, talk to people, Christians and other churches, and they talk about, well, you know, we want revival, we want revival. And, yeah, we agree with that. You know, we want revival. But it's interesting the approach people have toward that concept. Some people, they seem to think that it's just going to happen. We're believing God for revival. Okay, well, we are too. But some folks seem to think we're believing for God to just move and do it. Well, that's not the way it works. Uh, we have to do our part in preparation. You know, when you, whenever you go on a vacation, or some countries they call it holiday, 
you, you tend to pack ahead of time. You don't usually wake up on the day of departure and rush around trying to figure out, you know, what do we need? What are we going to take? Most people tend to pack ahead of time. And if you're going to drive, usually you'll get gas, fill it up before you leave. You're not going to wait until that morning and pull out and say, oops, we got five miles left. <laughs> Where's the gas station? Most people, on the morning that they leave, they just want to go. Let's just do it. So there's preparation. Same thing for us. When it comes to revival, there's preparation. And I think sometimes, as believers, we take for granted the whole concept of preparation and the fact that we are responsible for this. Yeah, I know Scripture says that God works on us to will and to do of His good pleasure, but... You know, there's got to be some cooperation here. When Kathy and I met and fell in love, there's no way that we could have gotten married if we hadn't been in cooperation. You understand that? I mean, I, I couldn't have gone to pick her up for a date and driven to a church and walked in and everybody's there. And she says, well, what's this? I said, oh, we're getting married today. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. There had to have been cooperation, and there was. Hallelujah. <laughs> there was. Same thing with us. When it comes to the preparation, how we do it and what we're supposed to do is in Scripture. Now, in John chapter 17, this is a prayer by Jesus right before he is arrested, put on trial, and crucified. So we pick this up in John uh, chapter 17. Um, okay. I'm supposed to tell you a story. <laughs> it's kind of unrelated to this, but this past week, I, I wasn't even going to... Anyway, um, somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who. But this past week... Uh, as you know, I wasn't here on Wednesday night. I don't know how much was said about my not being here. But on Monday, I woke up and had a little bit of pain in a tooth. I mean, it wasn't much. It was very negligible. And uh, I thought maybe I just scrunched up on a pillow really tight or something and my jaw was hurting. Well, anyway, as the day went on, the pain increased. By Monday night, I could not chew on the right side. It was bad. So anyway, the next morning, got up, called the dentist office. I said, here's what's going on. They said, well, um, and they're trying to figure out. And they said, okay, look, I, they must have had some kind of like a cancellation or reschedule. But uh, they said, can, can you be in here at 915? I said, yes, I will be there. So off I go. Get to the dentist. By then, man, I'm telling you the pain. My face was all puffy and all this. And he's trying to figure out which tooth it is, the, the top right, far back, or the one right next to it. And he's doing, you know, tap, 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 tap. And I'm, ow, 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 ow. Here, bite down on this. Ah, okay, now try the other tooth. Ah. <laughs> he said, I can't tell which tooth this is. What happens when a tooth gets really bad like that? The pain can radiate to where you really cannot tell which tooth it is. 
And he said, I'm going to have to send you to a specialist, an endodontist. And he said, uh, you need to call and make an appointment as soon as possible because you can, it can take months before you can get in to see one of them. I said, okay. So he gave me two references. I called one and was talking to them. And they said, uh, well, we can, we had a cancellation. We can get you in tomorrow at 2.15. I said, okay, by the way, <laughs> what insurance do you take? Well, what insurance do you have? And I said, well, and I told them, oh, well, we don't take that. They said, most specialists don't take insurance because the insurance doesn't pay them properly. I said, oh, boy, so how much is this? Well, it's going to be, you know, if we have to do root canal, um, it's going to cost $120 for the evaluation. Then it's going to be over $1,300 for the root canal. And I'm gagging. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, let's just go ahead and schedule this because I knew it was going to be hard to get in otherwise. Well, after that phone call, I called two more endodontists. And I'm talking to them. I'm trying to find out, is it going to be cheaper somewhere else? No. And But the one endodontist said, well, you know, we can't get you in until November. And the other one said, we can't get you in until December. I thought, I'll be all dead by then. <laughs> so anyway, I was like, praise God, man. I get in, you know, the next day I get in to see this. So I go in Wednesday to see the endodontist. And he's checking everything out. And he says, well, yeah, it's that far back right upper tooth. He said, the problem, though, is that tooth already had a root canal. And I'm thinking, well, how in the world can there be pain? He goes, well, you've got an infection in there, and it may be working its way up to the bone. And uh, you've got two choices. I can try to redo the root canal, or you can have that tooth pulled. He said, now, if I try to do redo the root canal, it may work. But there may be a crack in that tooth that was undetected before, and it has advanced. Plus, if I start doing the root canal and I, I'm not able to finish it because of complications, you're going to have to go someplace anyway. And I said, well, okay, the best thing really is going to have that, be, that tooth taken out. And he said, yeah. So I said, all right, can we go ahead and do that? He said, no. He said, I can't do that. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I said, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. So here it is. It's, it's late Wednesday afternoon, so I called back to my dentist, had to make uh, leave a message, and a couple of hours later I get a phone call that, hey, you know, Dr. So-and-so, you know, the they want that tooth to come out. You know, anyway, you know, we can get you in. The thing is, uh, we had a cancellation. Oh, no, no, they didn't say that. They said, all right, well, we can get you in on Tuesday, which would be this coming Tuesday. I said, all right, we had a cancellation then. It's all right, I'll take it. Well, the next morning they called, like 8.30, and said, we just had a cancellation. Can you be here at 9? And I said, yeah. So, boom, off I go. So I go into the dentist, and they pull that tooth. Now, here's what I'm getting at. The, the pain started on Monday. By Thursday, the problem was resolved. Now, I had I was praying and confessing, but the problem didn't go away. Well, here's the grace of God. There were three cancellations in, in offices that normally would not have happened, and I could have been facing months taking more drugs to deal with infection and pain. But no... Those cancellations opened the door for me to get in there 
and, and get that tooth pulled. Now, some people might say, well, if you were truly the man of faith you think you are, hey, I don't disagree with you. Because I truly believe if my faith were at that, you know, top, big, fully grown mustard seed tree level, then I could have dealt with that. It would have been okay. However, God knew my faith was not at that level. And he knew I needed medical help. And I needed it right away. Here's what you may not know. If you get a bad infection in a tooth and it's not dealt with, that infection could spread into your entire system and you could die. It can kill you. Seriously. It can kill you. So God knew that old Jim, he ain't got the faith for this one. <laughs> so he moved for those cancellations to open it up so that I could get in there. Now, now the point of all this is, don't you ever feel condemned because you went to a doctor? Yes. We can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. You know, all things are possible to him that believes. I get that. But there is a spiritual growth process from where we are to the all things are possible level. Now, in between, we rely on God to help us out. And that's what happened. So, to whomever this would apply, don't ever feel like that it's wrong to go to a doctor. Keep pressing in. Keep developing your faith. But between now and then, don't die thinking you're at the, the superpower level. You follow what I'm saying? And that's happened. There are people who have died refusing medical help because I have faith. I have faith. Well, you be standing in front of Jesus saying, I have faith, and he's going to tell you, no, you didn't have it the way you thought. That's why you're here with me now. So, again, receive your blessings and receive a move of God Yes, faith is the way, but between now and that level, it's okay. It's okay to access medical help, okay? So anyway, uh, we'll go back to the sermon. So I don't know who all needed to hear that. I don't, maybe I just needed to hear it again. But nevertheless, just be encouraged, okay? Be encouraged. God can move in ways that we don't anticipate, and He did that for me this week. Praise the Lord. I don't have any more pain. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, let's go back to John. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying right before he is arrested and um, crucified and so forth. So we pick this up in verse 14. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. We are a, we are a downline of the apostles. Somebody believed in their word, and then somebody believed in the word of that next level, and the next level until, you know, here we are a couple of thousand years later. We believed in the same word. Now here we are born again. But notice, 
In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. That's an extremely powerful verse. Now, this word sanctify, it comes from a Greek word, hagiazo. And it means to make holy, to render clean in a moral sense, to consecrate, devote, set apart from a common to a sacred use by God for the performance of His will, established as sacred or holy by virtue of fellowship gained with and toward God. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, how much of the Bible do you believe is from God? Well, the correct answer is Genesis to Revelation. Everything in there. So when he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, then all the way from in the beginning to the end, (laughs) Genesis to Revelation, every single word in this book has sanctifying power. Every single word. No exceptions. So then... Think of this, and, and hear me out on this, uh, you know, don't, don't get riled up just yet. But if born again was all we needed, God would not have given us the Bible. Now, born again is all we need to get to heaven. But if born again was all we needed for this life here on earth, God would never have given us the Bible. If born again and being filled with the Holy Spirit were all we needed, then God would not have given us the Bible. If born again, being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues were all we needed, God would not have given us the Bible. Now, I do know if there are people out there, the Bible has not been translated into their language then God, by His grace, enables them to learn from Him by virtue of them praying in tongues. I understand that. But again, if born again, filled the Holy Spirit, and praying in tongues were all we needed, then God would not have given us the Bible. Our spirit, the moment that we are born again, our spirit is sanctified at that moment. Well, when you're born again, then the Bible says that that new man inside is created out of righteousness and true holiness. God's righteousness and true holiness. So the born again spirit is sanctified. Well, at the moment we're born again, that spirit, our spirit, it's sanctified. However, our day-to-day life is a totally different story. And every one of us in here can bear witness to that. Because it's very possible that the moment we got born again, there was still a lot about our life that wasn't very sanctified. And it could be that some of us to this day are still struggling, battling with areas of our life that aren't very sanctified. And yet, here we are, 
we're, our spirit, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, born again, born of God. We have His life and His nature. So then, there's something about the Word we need beyond just the act of born again. Look, look over in First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. There was a, a church where they, um, there was a guest speaker that went in there, and uh, the, the service, you know, the praise and worship, dynamic, so on and so forth. And, uh, well, anyway, a guest speaker was talking to the pastor, uh, not during a service, but away from the service, talking about, well, your church and what all is going on. And, uh, the subject of the Bible came up, and that pastor said, oh, oh, we've gone way beyond that thing. Now, I have no doubt that the praise and worship was really good. I mean, look, if you get a congregation to sing How Great Thou Art with, with everything that's in them, yeah, you're, that's a good service. What a powerful song. However, <laughs> to say about the Bible, oh, oh we've gone beyond that thing. Okay, then where are you getting your revelation? Yeah, study to show yourself approved. I mean, what are you studying here? Well, in First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So even the born again experience starts with the Word of God. Now that doesn't mean that a person has to read the Bible in order to be born again, but when we share with people about being born again, are we not referencing and even quoting the Word of God? Well, absolutely. So even born again is directly connected to the Word of God. Now in Second Peter, turn over there. Second Peter chapter 1. We make a mistake by taking the word and getting the born again part done, but beyond that, pretty much just, okay, this maybe doesn't apply to everybody here, but for our church, we have services Sunday, Wednesday, or Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Okay. For some people, the... The sum total of their word, it's whatever happens on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Okay, that's not good. It's not good for many reasons, but in part it's not good because of what the word will do, of what it accomplishes in our life. You know, again, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So there's, there's a sanctifying work. We're born again. But the sanctification, uh, let's call it like, let's call it this way, the the uh, spiritual maturing sanctification process cannot be done, cannot be accomplished separate from the Word. So the Word's got to be there if you're going to grow and mature into what Jesus is describing. The Word has to be a part of your life. There's just no other way around that. Now in Second Peter. Chapter 1. 
Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, peace, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now let me just ask you a question, interject this right here. Where do you think you're going to get the most knowledge of God and Jesus? Where's that going to come? <laughs> Some of you look at me like, uh, I'm not sure what the answer is. Okay, well, it's the Word, okay? Yeah, the very thing you were thinking of, you're right. It's the Word. And he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Well, if that comes through the knowledge and increasing knowledge, and that knowledge is going to, uh, that revelation and so forth is coming from the Word, then guess what? The Word is necessary to, if you will, engage with greater levels of grace and peace. But then he says, um, you know, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, notice here in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied or increased in your life through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, His divine power is given unto us all things. All things. There's nothing lacking here. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So then, all of this, this whole aspect of grace and peace being multiplied, all things being given to us, relative to life and godliness, and exceeding great and precious promises, all of this goes back to what? What you know. Knowledge. Now, where he says here in verse 4, exceeding great and precious promises, I ask you a question. And, you know, you can just sit there and think the answer. But I ask you a question. Where are you going to find these promises? Where? That's right, what you were just thinking in your mind. The Word. Absent of the Word, you don't have a documentation of these promises. You don't know. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people, they hear someone say, well, you know, healing is not for today. So they jump on that bandwagon and never take the time to find out what God really said about healing. Well, you know, tongues aren't for today. And they jump on that bandwagon without leaving Scripture in context to find out what kind of a promise God made relative to tongues. And so therefore he says, look, <laughs> grace and peace multiplied all things pertaining to life and godliness given to you and exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, we're already born again. So, I have the divine nature by virtue of the fact I put my faith in Jesus, and now I'm born again. But this word partaker, 
It's an interesting word. It comes from the Greek, Greek word koinonos, which I'm, you know, koinonia and all those other words related to that. But koinonos, and listen to what it means. Partaker, partner, companion, a person of whom one is the companion with whom he partakes in something. In other words, God is, now look here, he says that grace and peace multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine nature given unto us all things pertaining to life and and, uh, uh, godliness. And then he talks about the exceeding great and precious promises. Okay, do you remember what he said about us and our relationship with Jesus? He said that we are joint heirs with Jesus. All right, That means we are heirs of equal inheritance with Jesus. Now, granted, we're not going to be the next Messiah. Only one of those. But beyond that, whatever God says, Son, this is yours. Those promises have been extended to us. Now, to kind of look at it from a different perspective, Jesus is in heaven, okay? Therefore, when it comes to life on earth, Jesus, right now, really doesn't need exceeding great precious promises and everything that pertains to life and godliness here on earth. You understand what I mean by that? Okay, He's there, we're here, we need those things. But the promise has been established. All these promises have been established where? In his word. And he says that in verse 4, these exceeding great and precious promises, they have been given to us. And by them, we become partakers of the divine nature. Or in other words, everything that is associated with the divine nature, call it the born-again life, the born-again spirit, however you want to term that. But everything that is associated with the divine nature, our ability to partake of it is based upon knowing and accessing what he calls great and precious promises. So therefore, since those promises are contained in the Word of God, and I do not get into the Word of God I'm, going, I'm not going to know what those promises are, and if I don't know what those promises are, then there's no way I'm going to begin pressing into the understanding and the receiving of those promises, which means that I am hindered in living life on earth according to the fullness of the divine nature or the fullness of my born-again life. Have I not just described the number one problem in the body of Christ? Absolutely. Christians don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. They don't know what they have. They don't know what they've been given. They just know, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus and I'm on my way to heaven. Yeah, well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. A whole lot more to it. You see, this whole thing of the the promises, the more we read the Bible with our heart, hey, anybody can read the Bible. I mean, you, you go... Anywhere you can down the street, there is a, a an uh, Islam place, school, whatever. All right, we could walk in there with a Bible. I mean, if they'd let us walk in there with a Bible, and just everybody in there could read it. So here, you read this, you read this. They they could read it, 
But they're not going to be reading it with their heart. You understand what I'm saying? Because the moment we walk out, somebody's going to say, that was a pack of lies. None of that was true. <laughs> ah, those people meant well. We could go to all kinds of places. We could go down here to a bar on Friday night when everybody is staggering drunk and have them start reading the Bible. Okay, anybody can read the Bible, but when we, those of us who are born again, we start reading the Bible with our heart, then the more it's anointing, the word, the more the Bible's anointing is going to be released in us, it's going to be strengthening us, it is going to be working in us in a way that enables us to partake of everything that we have received from God, and the more we will be separated from the things of the world. I mean, what's he say? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know what that means? That means every single person who's born again has escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, it doesn't. we're here in the world, and he says, but you've escaped the corruption. It's like, well, now, wait a second. It's all around me. You see, I know that. But because of what I've done for you and because of, you know, you accepting me as Lord and Savior, you have escaped this corruption. But it's everywhere. He says, yeah, but remember what I said. You're not of the world. If I'm not of the world, then I'm not of the corruption that is in the world through lust. Therefore, I have escaped that corruption. Well, that all sounds good, except how many of us have, um, since we were born again, struggled with some of this corruption in our lives, whatever that would be. How many of us have battled corruptive issues? <laughs> See what I'm saying? But he says, look, you've escaped it, all of it. Which means it should not be impacting our lives in a way that we participate. He says, no, look, I've given you exceeding great precious promises, and through the application of these promises, you will live in a way of escape from the corruption that's in the world. That's what Jesus did. You know, he, he said, he talked about the devil. He said, the devil has nothing in me. In other words, there's nothing hidden behind closed doors going on in my life that enables him to have access to me. He has nothing in me. Why is that? Because Jesus lived and escaped from corruption life. He was tempted like as we are, no sin. And here we see these great and precious promises. We become partakers of the divine nature. Praise God! Do you realize what he's saying? He's saying you can live on earth exactly the way Jesus lived. Exactly! No difference. That's just like Jesus lived on the earth the way God would have lived, Father God would have lived on earth if He had a flesh body. I know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all the same. I get that. But you understand the imagery. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now here, He says, you have escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Where did that start? Genesis 3. And it's continued all the way to this day. He says, but you've escaped it. Meaning, from God's perspective, we're free. That does sound like something in Scripture, doesn't it? <laughs> we're free. However, you ever hear Christians say things like, oh, 
I, I just, I know I need to stop this, but I just can't. I just can't. You know, I'm just trapped in this. You know what the problem is? You do not know the exceeding great and precious promise that God has given to you, declaring that you are no longer to be in submission and under the authority of that corruption. That's the problem right there. Because he says, when you come to the place of having this knowledge, this understanding, then guess what? You're going to live this way. You will be a partaker of these promises, a partaker of this divine nature. Praise God. Listen, this should be very encouraging to you. Now, look over in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now look here in verse 21. Now, this is written to Christians. Keep this in mind. James 1, 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of knowledge. That is one of my favorite phrases in the whole body. I just, I just, super, that sounds so educated. <laughs> Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your... What's that next word? And that is not the Greek word for your your spirit, your born-again spirit. Save your soul. Save your soul. My spirit's born again. But the soul needs some work. And he says, lay apart... All that stuff, that corruption that you have escaped, lay it aside and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Well, obviously he's talking about the word. You know, receive with meekness. What does that mean? What it means is this. One way to look at it, humble yourself and admit that without the word, this ain't going to happen. It's not you. You can't do this on your own. You need the Word. And the fact that he uses engrafted in here is so powerful. Because he's saying, receive with meekness the engrafted Word. Now, this word engrafted, it comes from the Greek word emphutos. And it's interesting, let me kind of, it's kind of a, even the definition is King Jamesy. Alright, so let me read it to you like this. Adding to something... That which was not originally a part of that something, with the part added, producing its own fruit. When he says, okay, think of it, let me reread this like this. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the word engrafted. So that, what? It's going to be able then to save your souls. In other words, the Word is not a part of you until it is engrafted into you. See that? So therefore, there are people out there that teach, the moment you get born again, your spirit knows everything. If that were true, why give us the Bible? <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Okay, why study if I already know everything? So he says here, you know, receive with meekness the engrafted word. In other words, with meekness in that, just just admit to it 
that you don't know everything you think you know. You're not as smart as you think you are. You need to receive the word engrafted into you. Okay, now, that means that the word, the Bible, is not a part of my born-again me until I add it to my born-again me. You understand? Again, if I didn't, if God knew that born again was all you need, nothing else, then no, He wouldn't have given us the Word. But we need to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. Alright? So then, being born again, the work in my spirit, okay, I'm born again. I can't get any more born again. But I need more than that. And so, therefore, he says, okay, look, the more than that that you need, yeah, you know, we're the Holy Ghost and tongues and all that, but the more than that that you need, you need my word. I mean, I've given it to you, and you need my word. Well, right now, it's not in there. So what you need to do is take my word and engraft it to your spirit. Because then, it, the word, is going to be able to produce in you the fruit it can produce, which otherwise will not be produced. For example, the, the exceeding great, the promises, remember that? Okay, I am engrafting these promises so that those promises can be developed in me, mature, and produce their fruit. Gary Carpenter tells the story of his dad, how that uh, when Gary was young, they had, I, I think it was an apple tree in their front yard, or anyway, on their property, and his dad took a cutting from a peach tree and grafted it into the apple tree. He just wanted to see what would happen. Well, sure enough, it was maybe the next year, the year after, whatever, <laughs> That tree was producing apples and peaches. But the peaches were only coming from the grafted part. The apples were on the apple part. The peaches were on the peach part. But they were coming from the same trunk. You see what I'm saying? So, here's the word. The word is so full of all kinds of everything from God. The problem is... He tells you right here, receive with meekness the engrafted word. In other words, if you don't receive with meekness the engrafted word, then what the engrafted word can produce in your life is not going to be produced. And he says, <laughs> he says, it's going to save your souls, which means the engrafted word is not going to cause me to be more born again. I'm already born again, but what it's going to do is begin producing what I need in my soul so that I can live every day of my life in a way that proves who I am in Christ. So he says, receive the word. So guess what? If I don't get into the word, how's it going to happen? Well, see, it's not. It's not. Now look over in... Um, Hebrews chapter 4. See, the power of God's, the power of the holiness of God's word joins with the holiness of our born again spirit and it impacts the very essence of our soul. And the result is a progressive laying aside 
of all that superfluity of naughtiness, that stuff that is contradictory to who we are in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, now look here in this. It says in verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See that? In other words, the word brought into me begins acting like a judge on the inside of me. And it begins taking a hard look at what I do, what I think, all my decisions, so on and so forth. And as that begins to happen, then the Word begins making me more sensitive to the conscience of my new nature. Because he... Uh, well, in First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you remember it talks about born again by the Word of God. We're born again by the Word of God. So then, the Word of God is inseparable from our new nature, which means the Word of God is compatible with my new nature. So the more of the Word of God I put in me is the more sensitive I become to what the Word is doing. Now, now look at this. The Word of God is quick and, sh- uh, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, a lot of this is imagery, I understand. Dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Okay, the Bible tells us we have the mind of Christ. That means we have the ability through the, the, the um, mind way of processing information coming from the mind of Christ. We have the ability to analyze every situation according to the mind of Christ. That's what Jesus did. In fact, there were times when Jesus did things, the apostles didn't understand why he's doing it this way, but they went along with it. And, and remember the, you know, with the thing with Lazarus. They did not understand why he was doing what he did. But when Lazarus was raised from the dead, even though they still didn't fully understand the process, they understood the results. Now, the Word of God, it gets in me. And it starts comparing, let me, let me say it like this, my soul thoughts with my mind of Christ from my born-again spirit thoughts. And the Word begins working to cause me to be more sensitive to the mind of Christ way of thinking as opposed to the soul way of thinking, which is so impacted by this world and the people around us. And the power of the Word begins working with the power of my new nature and the power of my mind of Christ that I begin understanding why some things don't belong in my soul. They flat out don't need to be there. I don't need to be thinking this way. I don't need... No, that's not the right way to to mentally approach this situation. No, that's not the right way for me to think about what that person has done. You understand what I'm... I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, the, but if I don't get the word in me, then guess what? And I'm telling you right now, this is why a lot of Christians... I'll just say it like this. This is why a lot of Christians are weird. I mean, you hear some Christians talk about... You go, well, how can you think that way? That doesn't make any sense. 
Well, to them it does, or they wouldn't be thinking that way. They wouldn't be talking that way. Guess what you just learned? They are not engrafting the Word. And they're not giving it the opportunity to get in there and truly do the dividing asunder the way God wants it to, so that the soulish stuff that doesn't need to be there is removed, and the Word stuff, in conjunction with the mind of Christ, is now dominating how I live. If you look over in... um, Well, in fact, let me show you something here. Philippians chapter 4. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to give you an example. Philippians chapter 4, and look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Guess what? The Bible is full of all these things we're supposed to think about. The more I'm putting the word in me, is the easier it's going to be for me to think on these things. Because they're in there now. And they're doing their work. Look over in, um, look in, in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And take a look at verse, I'll just look at verse 46. Look what Jesus said. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of things Jesus said contained where? <laughs> In the Word. Okay, remember what Jesus was saying about, if you don't forgive everyone their trespasses, then God won't forgive you. I, there are a lot of Christians, I don't think, believe that. There's some, I'm not even sure they've even read that. (laughs) He says, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. And then if you look in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Well, that's a statement for the whole body of Christ. Now, how can we, if we don't know what he has said, how can we do what he said? You understand? There, there are times when uh, people, you can get around some Christians, and they'll say, well, you know, such a, and they'll quote a scripture, quote a verse. Something maybe in the New Testament, like something Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And they're trying to quote Jesus. Well, they get part of it right. The problem is they've taken it out of context. And why is that? Because they've not gone back into the Word to find out what did he really say. Well, you know, I'm I'm sure you've heard uh, some people say, Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. Judge not. All right. Judge not lest you be judged. All right. Okay. The problem is this. They don't read the rest of it. Because Jesus said the standard, now I'm paraphrasing, the standard you use to judge other people is the standard going to be used to judge you. So when it comes to judging, no, I can't pass final sentence on you, but I can take what? I can take the Word, and I can say, well, based upon what God says here in the Word, what I judge what you're doing is wrong. That I can do. And you can do the same thing for me. But it's got to go with the Word. Now, Jesus said... 
If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. I understand he was pointing them, first and foremost, to being born again. But the the pattern or, or the process continues. When I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, born again, that's where it starts. But I, if I don't continue in his word, how can I truly be his disciple? You know, well, I go to church. Okay, well, praise God. But are you continuing in his word? But I go to church. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, well, I pray in tongues. Okay, but are you continuing in his word? But I go to church. Okay, we've been through that. Are you continuing in his word? In the beginning was the... There you go. The starting point. The word. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple indeed. So how am I going to know what being a disciple is all about if I don't continue in the Word. If I, you know, we have these reading assignments, and it's not just, you know, to say, well, I read the Bible this week. Hey, 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 I'm caught up. No, that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about everything I'm sharing with you today. <laughs> now, look in, um, well, okay, Gee, remember what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How, can, how are you going to do that if you don't know what's in the Word? If you don't know what God has spoken? I mean, you really can't do it. And I'm telling you, listen, this is one of the reasons why a lot of Christians have some weird doctrine. It's because they haven't gotten into the Word to figure out what it is and what it's not. Okay, I wasn't going to say anything about this. hadn't even thought about it until just now. You had better watch what version of the Word you read. Now, I'm not preaching on that this morning. I've done that in the past, and I have, I have read passages from other versions of the Bible compared to what's in Scripture. In, in the, yeah, what, other versions compared to what's in Scripture. That's a good way to put it. Isn't it? <laughs> And I've proven to you, over and over and over and over and over and over, other versions are wrong. Did you? I, I, I remember sharing one time how that the placement or the deletion of a comma can change the meaning of a passage. Now, so you just better be careful. Now, you know, I don't throw stones at people that read other versions beside the King James. I'm just telling you. Based on everything that I've read, so on and so forth, the King James is the better English translation. Unless you become an expert in the Greek and Hebrew, the King James is the better translation. All right, now move on before I get too many more people upset with me. There are some people who come back and say, okay, Brother Martin, I've heard this sermon. Uh, Yeah, real great. I appreciate that. But I know some people who really do read the Bible a lot. But they don't seem to change. What's going on? Fair question. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay? Now look in Matthew. This is going to be so cool. Because we had a prophecy a few minutes ago 
that, I mean, it feeds into this message that I hadn't even thought about until greeting time. You'll, you'll see it if you remember the prophecy. Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And um, look what John the Baptist said in verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, remember the prophecy that came forth a little bit ago for this? Okay, I'm standing here. And the Holy Spirit wasn't finished. He took me back to something. I want you to see this. What did he say? He says, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. I want you to see this. I I don't know if it will hit you the same way it did me, but man, this... mm. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah says... Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. In other words, I could not keep my mouth shut. The word of God is also, what will be relative to this message today, the word of God is also fire of God. And when I take the word and put it in me, remember what Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, I take the word. I put it in, put it in, put it in. And I put it in, put it in, put it in. And what happens is the fire of that word begins working in me to burn some things up that shouldn't be in there because of its truth. Now, look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look back over there again. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at this. I mean, it really sums up what I've been sharing with you today. Look here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What did he say at the beginning of this? Seeing that you have purified your soul, your suke, your mind, your soulish area. It's not your spirit that's being purified here in this. He's talking about you have purified your souls in doing what? In obeying the truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You've purified your souls. This is what we're talking about here. This change that takes place on the inside of us because we take the Word in and the Word begins doing everything that I've shared here today and even more than that. Now, when it comes to the question somebody brought up, well, that I brought up on behalf of people here. (laughs) I know people that have read the Bible a whole lot. They don't seem to change. Well, here's the deal. When you read the Bible, you absolutely must approach it, must approach it, as absolute truth, whether you, science, or human logic understands or agrees with it. That, listen to this, that which was created as perfect, yet subsequently corrupted by humanity, cannot be used to establish the veracity of Scripture 
nor its divine supernatural origin. Because what a lot of Christians do is they took a a look at the world around them that is a Genesis 3 corrupted world. It's not a Genesis 1 and 2 perfect world that God created. They took a look at the world around them. They analyzed the Word of God based on what they see in the world, what science tells them, what biology and archaeology, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, I don't know if we can really believe all the Bible. Christians say this. It's like, okay, it's no wonder you're not changing. <laughs> because you're not willing to accept the source Because, see, the moment you start saying, I don't know if we can truly believe the Bible, is the moment you're saying, I don't know if God can fully be trusted. I don't know if the Word can fully be trusted. You see, the Bible must be accepted as the eternal, unchangeable standard for life given to humanity from God. Not doing this. What I've just shared the last couple of minutes, not doing this, raises a wall between you and what God's Word can do in your life. And this is why people, Christians, can read, 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 and never change. It's because they're not reading with their heart, they're analyzing with their mind, or it's basically just a literary assignment. Read it and get it done. There are times when I have uh, gone to the Bible, and I open it, and I've, said, either out loud or like prayed within me, you know, God, I open myself up to receive from you what your word has, you know, to give me, to sow into me, so on and so forth, and I begin reading. If you don't approach it from that perspective, it really can't work because you've got that wall built up. And God is saying, look, if you'll take my word for what it is and believe it and accept it for what it is concerning who gave it to you, then all of what I've said in my word that the word will do for you, it's going to begin to happen. Now, granted, the change doesn't take place overnight, but it's a process, and the process will continue. Praise God. And here's the thing. All I have to do is get into the word and read it, even if I... Listen, there are times I'm reading in here some of the things that these prophets talk about in the Old Testament... I've actually said to God, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. (laughs) But it's in there, it's truth, and it's impacting me. It's doing something good. I'm engrafting it. And maybe someday I'll fully understand what these guys are talking about, the imagery. But at least I'm putting it in me to give the Holy Spirit a chance to work with it in me to bring about the fruit it needs to produce. So you're not wasting time. When you go and you're reading, and so and so begat so and so, and so and so begat so and so, you go through and read all those genealogies and 20 cubits by 30 cubits and forth. You read all, it's still the Word. And it's life. And it's transforming. And it's changing. It has that kind of power, that kind of anointing. It's the sanctifying power of God's Word. So I'm encouraging me and all of you, don't just make this a something a good Christian is supposed to do when you read it. When you open it, say, God, I may not understand with my mind everything that's in here, but I know this. Your word is truth. And not only that, but Jesus said his words are spirit and they are life. So I am introducing and engrafting to my spirit and soul 
life, the fire of God, and I'm going to change. Praise the Lord.